You're listening to the Grossed Out Podcast with Rob Gross. It's me. I'm Rob Gross. Welcome to another episode of the Grossed Out Podcast. I am your host, Rob Gross. Today, I'm joined by somebody that I met during the pandemic. Super excited to have Adam Marino on the podcast. And Adam, please tell me right now, what band are we talking about today? We are talking about Jane's Addiction. Jane's Addiction. Super stoked to talk about Jane's Addiction. It's uh, one of those bands where you have just a few records really to, to dive into, but those records are so strong. And then we could talk about the later ones if you want to as well. I think we should. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit about Adam. Uh, born and raised in Queens, New York, his love of music, music started at a very early age. He eventually found himself involved in the New York and Long Island hardcore scene in the early 90s. And in 1996, actually started playing in bands. He did that. He, uh, he's played in Sayida, Aerotype 11, Instruction, Godfire's Man, and now has a new band called Attempt Survivors featuring members of the Life and Times, Helmet Six Going on Seven, and Big Collapse. He now lives in San Diego with his wife and two kids and is a barber and co-owner of the Gold Comb Barbershop. Tag all this at the end on the Spotify page so they can go get a fucking haircut from you, man. Shop looks rad. Yes. Look. But anyway, Adam, welcome to the Grossed Out Podcast. So excited to have you here. Ah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. Super stoked to be here. I'm I'm excited. Uh, one because it's the holiest of holy days today. It's Dave Navarro's birthday, um, who has always taught us, as we found out through his tattoo, uh, his tattoo escapades, to live moss. It's very important. That Dave, <laughs> Dave Navarro has told us to live moss. Um, but also, uh, you know, Perry Farrell liking your comment on Instagram today certainly uh, certainly shines a light on, on uh, at least you know the band we're talking about. Today was today was meant to be to do this. It's just meant to be. Um, it's so cool, man. Like Jane's Addiction is one of those bands that I think for a lot of people, you know, cause I think you and I like not to project, but feels like we grew up in a lot of the same music being in a, in a similar age. And obviously the bands you're in, I'm, you know, I'm fans of those bands and, and, and go back and revisit those records. And it's like the era type 11 records. Like they just, I mean, we can get into that on another episode, I guess, but I mean, <laughs> these records are just timeless. And it's like, you, you'd think that it, we'd be talking about a band like Helmet or Quicksand or whatever, but I was so excited when you said Jane's because it's just one of those groups that I think you, you, you fall down a rabbit hole real quick and you just get so heavily obsessed, at least for me with, with nothing shocking and ritual. And you just kind of fall in love with those records all over again, every time you hear them. Um, Walk me through how you discovered the band and what got you to want to talk about it here. Um, well, so I think it started, I, it's either December 88 or January 89. And I remember that because I still had a Christmas tree up and I very uh, specifically remember that happening, being in the living room. And um, we had cable and my mom would uh, tape Headbangers Ball and 120 Minutes for me. Because uh, yeah. I was I was I was 12 years old at the time, so sometimes I would stay up a little bit late on Saturdays and catch like, you know, the first little bit of the show. But I would just tape the whole episode. Um, Me too. For both of the for both of those shows, mm -hmm. and then I would throughout the week like watch the tape. And I remember, um, you know, kind of reviewing the tape uh, from the previous weekend and seeing the video for Mountain Song, mm -hmm. and it just like completely completely blew my mind. Um, I'd never heard or seen anything like that before. Um, you know, there were like, you know, people making out, there were dudes making out with dudes, 
um, you know, there were, I mean, it was like live footage. Everyone in the band looked completely different from each other. Um, the people in the, everyone in the crowd looked different from one another. Um, so it just had this like thing that I just feel like I n had never witnessed before or heard before. And I instantly just became obsessed with them. Dude, that's awesome. And that's such a good point too, where it's like from a visual perspective, being a kid and see me even now, when you look back at those photos of like Perry, when he still had the dreads and Dave, who looks like an entirely different human being, it just yeah. like, like what, just what facial hair could do to a guy, you know? And it, and it's like, it's just fucking nuts. Like it was, I think there was an element of band, especially LA bands with the peppers and you know, before them. And obviously, you know, pro, you know, things like parliament before them, where it was the visual, the visual got you like, you're never going to forget that you saw a grown man in a diaper playing a trombone. Like that's, that, that's a really visual. You can almost hear the visual. James was like the first band of that for me. It yeah. was, holy shit like faith no more was my favorite band they did that to some extent as did living color but jane's was just like you could hear what they when you looked at them you could hear it you you knew it was eclectic you knew it was a bit left of center even at that early age right and and up until that point i was like listening to a lot of like my brother turned me on to like classic rock or whatever so like zeppelin mm -hmm. and sabbath and all that and i liked that but i didn't feel like that was kind of my music you know what i mean right. and then um I don't know. I just felt like what, but when I heard Jane's, like I heard those elements in there, you know what I mean? Like I heard like straight up kind of classic rock, but then there was this other thing happening with them. There was like a bit of like punk in there. And then mm -hmm. there was a total, like the, like the total, like joy division Bauhaus aspect going yeah. on with them as well. Yeah. It felt really arty. Like it felt really like artsy, but not in a way that I couldn't connect with. Cause it's like, to your point, it still had the riff. Like when you hear that, that mountain song riff is just, it's still one of the most like pivotal riffs. Like it's just so fucking heavy. And like, like I've heard so many other bands cover that song over time, some bad, some terrible, some great. And you know, that that's what they're drawn to. Of course, it's of course the first line of Perry screaming that out, but it's heavy. And that's what, drew i think a lot of people into it and kind of got them hooked into liking songs that maybe were like had a dad or whatever that that were a little or early like ocean size which of course is like you know a mind blower but i think that that's mountain songs that good entry point for a lot of fans of heavier music yeah for sure and i think also it would just um besides being heavy it was like this it was almost hypnotic in a way because like you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the song. I mean, most of those songs are built around Eric Avery's bass lines. You know what I mean? Right. And whereas, as opposed to being like a guitar riff rock band, and don't get me wrong, obviously Dave Navarro is an incredible guitar player, and there's a lot of uh, amazing riffs in there. I think like the the heart and soul of that band and what really made them stand out are Eric Avery's bass lines. Oh man, a hundred percent. When I was in a hardcore band, when I was like twelve or thirteen, so like this is ritual day ritual was the most recent body of work at that point they probably already broke up like five times this this like 1993 and i remember trying all of us like regardless of what we played what we did I, you know we all tried to figure out at practice while in between like life of agony covers Snapcase covers trying to like perfect albatross by coc we were definitely you know rudderless um we, we were trying to we were all trying to figure out the baseline of three days and to this day, that's still got to be one of the fucking coolest bass lines in the genre. Yeah, just, for sure. 
it's and also to have like a nine minute song on a record like that 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 kind of blew my mind because like what you were saying is like yeah we had rush yes genesis zeppelin they all had these longer songs these opuses but that was an hours so to have a band that was ours drop something that epic in the middle of like a record it, it just kind of it, it opened my mind to a lot to a lot for sure yeah i mean three days is our stairway to heaven you totally totally and it's so good <laughs> it's just so good like they were young at that point and and not i mean obviously they they i feel like they hit it out of the gate uh, you know the first triple x record but or, you know whatever that was but like with nothing shocking into ritual it's a pretty mature record for what's to be considered a sophomore release well what's even crazier is i mean like jane started in 85 i think it was 85 or 86 is when they formed right Right. Like they broke up in 91 and their, you know, ritual came out in 90. So you're thinking like in a five year period, they wrote, you know, the triple X record, nothing shocking and ritual. And all of those songs for ritual were written like they could have recorded them. They could have been on nothing shocking. They were all written oh. at that same time. Oh my God. So you're talking like three in a three year period, they wrote nothing shocking and ritual on top of all the triple X songs. And and what were they maybe 22, 23? Yeah. Like, cause yeah. they're still like, you look at it now, they're still not old. I mean, no, I think Perry's, Perry's, Perry's the Perry's, oldest out of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Perry's like maybe 60, maybe. Let's yeah. Just, maybe let, let's just say he's, he's 60. Um, but he's around that, but like the other guys, like that's insane. It's insane that like these guys are the same age as let's say somebody like, randy from lamb of god where that's a band that didn't come around in the public eye until a decade plus later it's just from when they from when they started from when they started yeah oh, and right, right, and right, right. and they're now living in the same in the same world yeah it's nuts i think you know it's it, a lot of it came with the authenticity probably too when a lot of the bands that we grew up with or that were of our age group like the seattle bands the new york hardcore bands they just started so young and there was never really you didn't have to build into something and build a marketing plan around it. And like, Oh, we have to look like this. You just picked up your instrument. You played shows, you wrote songs. And if you got signed, you got signed. And I think that's why a lot of those bands probably got signed really young and just got out there and also probably broke up really young. Cause like you, you, I've talked about this in other episodes. I feel that for guys like that, you almost get caught at wherever you start is where you stay like mentally in a way. And that's gotta be a part of the reason why a lot lot of these bands are so short lived, you know? Yeah. Well, also I think that has a lot to do with the record industry as well. I mean, I think back then bands had a lot of, um, a lot more time to develop, you know what I mean? Like now, you know, now, and, and for a while now, it's like, if you, if you don't have, you know, hit it out of the park on your first try, you're getting dropped, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, how how many records did it take you two to become you you know the you two that we know? I I mean, would they had like four or five records by the time they had a hit or something like that? Like that would right. never happen now. No, the Cure was the same way. I mean, the first three Cure records sound nothing like the rest of their catalog. They'd be toast. I mean, like the ultimate example is Fleetwood Mac, fourteen fucking records before they hit Rumors, and they had like moderate success, but nothing to to write home about i mean pink floyd same thing 
Genesis, same thing. All these bands, they were also churning out records at the where you'd get to the studio and they'd be like, all right, here's a bag of cocaine. The record's due in three weeks. I know you haven't even written it yet. Go. And that's, (laughs) that's literally what happened. And it's like, but look at the great music that came out of that. But yeah, you're right. Now, if you put something out and it doesn't connect like instantly, I mean, you're pretty much dead in the water. Yeah. I mean, and you, and you can, you work in the industry now, so you see it all the time. It's really sad, especially when, I mean, there's so many bands over the years that I'm sure you and I could both nerd out on where it's like, it's a bummer that never happened. Or like, I wonder why that only sold like 4,000 copies. Now it's like, you don't even make a physical record. You are going to get buried on a playlist. You won't even get on a playlist. You'll get buried inside of a DSP somewhere. 60,000 songs are released a day to the to the accounts to spotify apple music so right. it's like i love when i get here like, oh why don't we get playlisting and i'm like man sixty thousand songs come out a day that's why you didn't get playlisting it's it's a bummer it's like and back then i think too you were able to just be like a band dude and and now it's like you need to be you know a businessman a businesswoman you need to which is right. good how, but how many followers do you have when I run an artist through like, okay, well, that's cool that you're on TikTok. Now you need to do something totally different for Instagram reels. No, no, no. You don't want to use the TikTok video because the TikTok stamps on it. So Instagram won't put it. It's like, I, no. I almost feel bad. Like I feel bad explaining this because I wouldn't do it. <laughs> no, there's no way. Like I'd rather just not, I'd rather just create music in my room for myself than ever have to like really try to play that game for to, to yeah. be heard no totally i mean i think and i'll add him on on here because I'm, I'm sure he'll, i'll make him listen to it. i'll have him listen to it i should say my real estate agent is larry herrig from pelican and oh nice which is like we it's always we came together through a like a, a love of, of quicksand and i needed an office and i was working at a previous job and it, that's how it happened but anyway off, off topic but he does that when he does that but he's a real estate agent he has like a job and it's like that's great because the band's become a cult band, great fucking band, but you know, but he's also a great real estate agent. So it's like, he's got these two paths anyway. um, But yeah, man, like getting back to it, I I think there's, I keep doing these episodes where it's, I'm talking about these bands that have these lifespans that were like Hendrix, the doors, the Beatles, um, like my last episode with the silver chair, it was the same thing. This super short life. They had a little bit of a longer lifespan, but this is nuts there. So when you look at that, their recorded lifespan of the original lineup lasted four years. Yeah. Four, four years. years and, and three records that like kind yeah. of changed music in a way, you know, yeah, definitely, definitely to what you were saying, like having your mom tape those episodes. I mean, they were, they were the cornerstone of 120 minutes, alternative nation buzz bin. I mean, and it got big, man. Like my, my mom is on the cooler side of the mom spectrum. I, I, I guess you would say, but I mean, still to this day, her favorite song I think I ever showed her has been caught stealing. Like she loved the song, the video. I mean, that's, you know, it's a song it's, it's shoplifting and it's the band that's highly sexual and out about their drug use. And they're, and, 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 and like you were saying, like, it, it was at the time shocking to see a guy kiss a guy on TV. Like I look at it, it was like, huh, well, that's cool. But I mean, 
good on MTV for playing it. Well, what's what's kind of crazy? I mean, by the time they got to Ritual and like being caught stealing and stop, um, like the videos for that record, like I think you know things had progressed a little bit and MTV was playing them more. But yeah. previously, for nothing shocking, with with Mountain Song, like I think that when on that tape when I recorded it, like I think that might have been the one or two times MTV played it because then soon after it kind of got banned. Oh, there it is. And then. And then they um, basically went straight to home video with it, and they did a they did a VHS tape called Soul Kiss, which was like oh, yeah. a, um, it was like their little mini like twenty minute um, what's it called when labels do that a EPK or whatever an, an electronic press kit. Yeah, yes. there you go. So it was kind of like their EPK in a way. It was like little backstage footage, and it had the Mountain Song video uncensored. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up getting that as well. Because sure. it was just more, it was just more, more Jane's addiction stuff at the time. Right. I mean, you had to have it all. I mean, I, and, I, and I get that. Like, I love that. So, you know, I'll, I'll post these obviously when the episode's out. And the, the one photo that you sent of you as a kid in your room, that's just like the coolest shit ever, because that was all of us. Like that was, that was all of our bedrooms with like just slight variation on a theme. Like maybe replace this band with helmet or that band with like guar or whatever, but it was the same shit. Right. And it's like, I, I hope that that's something that doesn't go away because it was so important to like own everything. You needed the shirt and the sticker and the, like you needed it all. Like the tape, the, yeah. mu- the music was really just part. I mean, it was a big part of it, but it was, it was honestly just, it was a piece. It wasn't the whole thing. Like you didn't hear a song and obsess over the song and be like, I don't need to know about this band. I don't need to know what they look like. I just fuck with this song. You wanted to know, like you needed to go get like, the next circus magazine i need to know what these fucking guys look like i need to know what the instrument like okay what is he play- what amp is he playing out of i need to know what drum heads he uses like yeah yeah i mean you I, you like study it all right like yeah. every aspect of it and you know in 88 i mean there was no internet right so mm-hmm. like for me being a 12 you know 12 years old 13 years old 14 it was like still having to really search for all for everything about this band and it's a band from the opposite coast and mm-hmm. i wasn't old enough to go to like you know when nothing shocking like they had played lemore and oh in brooklyn God. and 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 they um you know and they played some other clubs in like i think they played opening for someone they played at webster hall when it was when it was the ritz you know right and um and I was just too young for that, you know, mm-hmm. but I did get to go uh, when I was 14. I got to see them at Madison Square Garden. Um, wow. And it was like, you know, it was that moment of just like, I mean, when the lights went out and the opening baseline to Up the Beach came on, I like I actually started crying. Oh, man, that's that's amazing. That's who it's like seeing it, like it's like you seeing Faith No More, right? Like, you know, when you discovered Faith No More and there you're you're like, this is my band. And then you get to see them on like your favorite album. I did. It was my first show ever. They were the first band I ever saw. Like, wow. Insane. I mean, I, I know that that's like really set the bar, but they were opening for Metallica and Guns N' Roses at Miami Arena. And I remember like at that point, Guns N' Roses are probably my favorite band. Like I love Faith No More, but Angel Dust had just come out and um, right. I left before GNR came on. So I know I didn't get to see Guns N' Roses until 2016. I got into the trailer. Oh. So it took me that I never got like they were I, we had to go home. School night, man. It was a school night. I was 12. But but to your point, 
it changed my life. And I know that like on, you know, on social media or in conversation that comes up like, Oh my God, this moment changed my life. This band changed my life. But I know from you just telling me that that moment changed your life. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I, w- I was obsessed with them leading up to that show, but then to finally like get to see them, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, which I didn't think was going to happen because previously like five or six months earlier, they had played two nights at the Ritz, but I was 14 years old, you know? And I think you had to be like 16 to get yeah. in or something. And it was just like, and, and it was, and it was sold out by the time I even could try. And it was like, it just wasn't happening. And I just remember being home those nights being like so badly wanting oh. to be at those shows. I'll make you feel better. Um, <laughs> Faith No More Reunited, I was working at Dynalone Records and I was in Nashville uh, being forced to go to Nashville, which I, I love, a city I now love. Um, but Faith, I found out through the grapevine, Faith No More, because they always wear suits, everything. like They were doing like this Russian funeral situation, flowers, floral, everything, all white, in their street clothes, were playing a headline set for 30 bucks, the Troubadour. And I could have easily gotten in because I, I mean, I would have paid, but I would have gotten a, a, a jump. A bunch of my friends went. I was in Nashville at Vanessa Carlton's house. I'm sorry. Had to ha- literally have my wife call one of my friends who went, and she was like, "Is my friend Jen, who I I love, but she was like, Jen, you have to stop texting him about how great the show was last night. He's literally like fucking depressed. He's losing it. <laughs> he's, right. he's in a hotel room in Nashville, like crying. Like you have to stop this right now. And that was at yeah. 35. So man, I feel you. But um, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's amazing. It's just amazing what that could do to you. And like, I'm sure there's, you know, throughout the years, you'll forget things over time. You'll forget like certain memories and I'm, you know, there's only so much you can fit inside, you know, inside a brain. And I'm sure that you'll remember that show and that moment so vividly for the rest of your fucking life. Yeah, definitely. It's awesome, definitely. man. Awesome. Um, so, so with, since it's just small discography year, I mean, they do have strays and obviously the records, which had some bangers on it, actually. Um, what do you think the best record is and what's your favorite record? Ritual for both. For both. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I, definitely. I mean, I, I have, I've had many conversations about this and um, I mean, nothing shocking, amazing songs on that record. But my problem with that album is the production on that record. I think so the... Dr- I think the drums just sound like uh, it could be, it could have been like a poison record. Like, you know what I mean? It just has like, it has like a glam, it has like a glam reverb snare drum sound. It just, it just sounds so dated that record. And there's no, and there's no like vibe to it whatsoever. And then you go to ritual and that's all that record is. It's like, like I was just listening to it this morning. Right. I can mm-hmm. put that record on 30 years later and it still sounds fresh. It still sounds exciting. Um, you know, so that's why I think ritual will always like, and even the artwork, like two records with classic artwork. Right. But I just mm. think that, I think everything about that went around ritual was just done so perfectly. You know what I mean? Totally. Even, even the edited artwork for ritual is so good. This is so good. Nope. Here's just the warning and then still slap the parent advisory sticker on it. Like, it's just so good. There was, I remember, I, can't, I don't know if it was a bootleg or not, but there was a kid in my middle school that had this ratty old shirt. I assume it was white at some point, but it was, we'll call it an off-white to a yellow eggshell color. Uh, we right. lived in Florida. It was disgusting at all times. <laughs> but he had a shirt that was just the cover, like the edited Walmart cover or whatever. Or the, no or whatever. way. 
So it must have been like a boot or like, so I, I mean, we weren't, you could tell the guy didn't smell great. He was two grades ahead of me. I stayed away from them. But I, I remember that shirt so vividly being like, man, that's really fucking cool. Like, that's so cool that they made this shirt yeah. on, because they couldn't like, because like Camelot records wouldn't, or the wall wouldn't stock it. So they didn't make this. There wasn't a lot of that back then that I knew of anyway. I mean, like there was like Cannibal Corpse and a few others, I'm sure. But in, in my little realm, I think until like the whole rape me, waif me situation with Nirvana, that was it. Like, well, do you remember the poison open up and say our record? That's right. That, that was the first one I knew about. Yes, I do. That's right. Which was such a weird thing to censor, but obviously, yeah, the tongue. It was just a terrible cover. Like, it's just bad. Like, if you're going to censor it because it's bad, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I get it, too, because you're following up the cover for Look What the Cat Dragged In, which, one, is a monster riff, but two, also, it's a pretty iconic cover. Yeah. And you can can out-make-up Kiss, (laughs) especially at that point. Anyway, I, I digress. Uh, well, I, so, I, oh. I still kick myself really quickly for like not buying that censored uh, cover on vinyl when it was out because I just thought it was like, I was like, why the fuck would I buy that? Like I've got the real, the real right. cover, you know, but now I'm like, it's one of those records that I'm like, you know, I'm on Discogs looking for, you know, and it's shipping from Italy for like $90. I was like, all right, no, not yet. Yeah. But yeah, I, I still, I still do want it in, in the collection. Well, I get it. There's always those like you always want. I still, I still kick it myself that I didn't pick up the original Body Count record with Cop Killer. Like I, because at that point, and it sounds when I say this, it'll sound for those of you, the five of you listening, that will understand this. <laughs> I, do, I do talk about it a lot, so maybe you researched it. The long box that yeah. it was in the long box, so it said Cop Killer on it. So I just look. I was twelve. I wanted that, and. I eventually got it in the long box, but Sans Cop Killer. Also, great fucking song. So I, I really Amazing just. Song. So instead, I remember um, I have one of the last long boxes I bought was, my God, so embarrassing, was the self titled record from Jackal, which the why, last. Why would you do that? Well, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The last song on the record is called She Loves My Cock. And I remember that I still have it. I still have the long box somewhere like in a, in a pod in like my mom's place or something, but I had scratched off the word cock so I could, cause I would put all the long boxes on my wall into like a big right. like rectangular. And even on the wall, I was like, huh, Jackal, huh? Like even at that time, cause it was like, I, I loved all genres of music. Like, but well, you know, at that point in the heavy realm or, you know, at least rock or alternative or hip hop or whatever, but that one never quite fit. So I always kind of like hit it in the corner. It was like, put it up and take it down, put it uh, up. So embarrassing. And then I ended up having to work with that dude later on. He is, man, who, you know, the the soul patch situation is like a straight shot, like a line. Uh, Anyway. So, um, all right. So cool. So, setting the stage you saw them live at the garden they obviously they broke up how many times have you seen so when they did like well kettle whistle and all that came back but did you did you see them live in any other kind of version since yeah yeah i've seen them with every version actually so i <laughs> saw the original version in 91 at the garden and then i saw them with flea um mm-hmm. at hammerstein ballroom 
um, which is that which is the Jane says, you know, that like kind of reboot of that song where they did the live video of it. Right. In like 95, right. 96, 97, Seven? I think it 97, was. 97, yeah. 97, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was at Hammerstein. I was at that show. Um, and then I saw them 2001 at the Garden with Martin Lenoble playing bass, who was the bass player for Porno for Pyros. Right. So he kind of was the bass player for a little bit. And then I saw them at Lollapalooza 2003. I think it was the one with, Queen, with Queens of the Stone Age on it. And it was Jane, it, or it was three or four. It was when Strays came out. Right, right. They were They were doing Lollapalooza. And that's when Lollapalooza was still touring. God, so wait, so because it had come back and they had done a tour. Because I went to right. the last ever touring one in 97 and saw Porno for Pyros. And it was fucking great. But yeah never got to see Jane's. So I, I'm, so I'm still, re- still, still to this day this year, I'm rectifying that. Yes. Or all next right. year or whenever. Yeah. Cause I saw right, they announced right. some festival, something today and I'm like, all right, it's happening. Yeah. It's happening. So have you seen them since then? Or is it? Uh, I think the last, Oh wait, no shit. Yeah. Then I saw them uh, in 2009. Cause my wife was like eight months pregnant with our first kid. And we went to Jones beach and we oh, saw them with, with, with Nine Inch Nails. Oh, my God. And, yeah, that's a- and here's the thing. Like, Nine Inch Nails played before uh, Jane's Addiction and completely destroyed them. Like, we, le- <laughs> we left, like, four or five songs into Jane's Addiction because they were so terrible that night. Oh, it no. Was like, it was like the reunion when it was the original lineup again. So I was super right. excited to see them. And you can just tell they hated each other. Like, mm. you know, we had really good seats. We, had, we were, like, on the Nine Inch Nails... Um, like fan club to get better seats. So we were like on the floor at Jones beach. So you can see everything really clear. And I remember just like, there was one moment after one of the songs where Dave Navarro actually checked his phone. Like I saw him like looking at his phone, like checking a text message. I'm like, really during a show, you're going to check your phone. And I just turned to my wife. I was like, I want to go. She's like, looked at me. Like I was like, she's like, you want (laughs) to leave during Jane's addiction? I was like, yeah. Nine Inch Nails completely destroyed them, and uh, this is terrible. I don't want to see this. Man, it's like you know, especially with the reuniting of all, every band from our childhood. Because let's let's be real. I think now it has been every band from our childhood. Like every band has, fig- other than like the Screaming Trees, every band has has done this. That will never happen. So it, it's when you see a band that comes back, a band like let's say Failure that or faith no more to, to be matter of fact that right. puts everything into it and you know that it's like they're, they're rejuvenated they put out new music they're ready to fucking go one of my favorite bands Soundgarden, played three nights of the will turn it's now this huge box set that ume put out last year live from the artist den and three nights we gave we had we bought tickets the first night we left about two-thirds of the way through and gave back the tickets to, it was Garbage's manager, gave him back the tickets for the next two nights. They were just not talking to each other. There was like no, like, so you're hearing the songs and it sounds good, but you're not feeling it. Like there's no vibe. There's no energy. There's just, they're just four middle-aged guys going through the motions and you just, you know, like there's, it's almost like you can't really put it into words why you don't want to be there, but you just, it's a gut feeling. And like to hear you say that, I totally understand where you're coming from. It kind of like hurts to be like, Oh yeah. 
I yeah, I'd go. rather I'd rather just be home and watch like them from you know eighty nine ninety on YouTube mm -hmm. show and and actually see when they were like gelling with each other, right? As opposed to like, it, you know, it just looks like they're collecting a paycheck. And I mean, I get it. Like, I think those dudes just. Uh, I think obviously three of them get along with each other really well. But then you know, right. I think with Eric Avery back in it, I think him and Perry just have too much history together, and they just. I don't think they were able to really, they tried to get over it, but they couldn't. What I'm actually not privy to what the issues were. What was, what was it? Um, from what I know from like reading some stuff that um, the one thing that I think uh, between Perry and Eric, like specifically was that I think one, from what I read in like one of their books was that um, a book about the band was that I think Eric hit on Perry's, girlfriend Casey at the t at like one drunk night or something like that and it was like I think it was pretty harmless but he never right. like you know Perry just never let it go or he's you like, know for, for the remainder of the of the band he's married and you know she's in his band <laughs> it's I, I you know what but it's like I said you know maybe it's I, I don't want to project or you know know the situation yeah and I don't even know if that's but... the, if that's the reason or but that that was just one story in uh in that book whores which was like yeah. a, you know a book about them so that's wild that's wild that all if that if that is it that all these years later it's like dude water under the bridge fine you didn't apologize whatever it is but it's like clearly you've moved on like he, he's he he's done well for himself he's married he's got a he's got a kid right Perry? right right yeah right he's like not with that girl anymore no. he's he, he's married he has two kids like you know she's and like she's in his solo band <laughs> like the company that i that i'm i'm you know about to, to exit bmg put out his last record it, it's he got late night on it i guess it did quite okay He's really? Pretty, yeah, I mean, I don't obviously like. I don't have a look at the numbers in front of me, but right. I think. But my guess, he did a lot of D to C numbers and probably sold a bunch of merch, and obviously well, still has the connections to do the late night bit and get the good press. And I mean, I saw a lot about it when it came out. Right. I think people are going to be interested in pretty much anything any of those guys do. Really. Yeah. You know? I mean. There's been so many, not again, I, I love, see, I love talking side projects and there's been so many good side projects this band has had over the years. I mean, obviously, you know, some weren't meant to be side projects like porno for pyros, but those, those two records are incredible. They're and amazing. They're so good. And it's funny cause I've seen them twice, but I've never seen Jane's and, um, I got some of the Good God's Urge tour and then saw them um, do an unplugged session headlining the last ever touring of first, like 97 Lollapalooza. Which right. Is fucking, like it was like Corn, Snoop with the P Funk All Stars, Tricky. It was like the weirdest lineup ever, but Porno for Pyros and it was great. But um, yeah, but like Deconstruction and um, uh, I, I, one of my first. I love projects, that record so much. That, is so good and the fact that that's not on streaming services and it's out of print and it's just so frustrating because that record's so powerful and yeah, some someone needs to put that out on vinyl i know i know i i had spoken to uh the gentleman that kind of controls a lot of the, the that labels catalog and um we don't really see eye to eye on a lot of things so i i'm, I'm hoping that he just like look i don't 
I'll put it out. Like I, I will like, I've already worked one of his, you'll actually appreciate this. When I was at Dine Alone, I licensed Firesides Do Not Tailgate on vinyl to put that out because my boss wanted to do it. And I'm like, you do know that like, we might sell five copies of this like straight up and maybe three because two of them were going to get free copies. Right. And, um, but so I've been down the road with American and I'm like, fuck, like that record is just so good. Um, but like, even like one of my first records I worked when I was uh, an intern at universal back in the day was the first Banyan record. Like there's some, like, but there's like, they, it just goes to show the musicianship that was there. And it's like, what could have been if they kept it together through the nineties bands like that thrived yeah. like the chili peppers thrived faith no more thrived you know living color did have a couple of years there where they had some moments and james would have i think been you know obviously whole and you know pumpkins but james would have been at the forefront of that wave they already were they were yeah um i i don't know man i i don't know like you know you can kind of guess of like what would happen like do you think they could even like live up to if they continued and didn't break up like how do you follow up ritual yeah it's uh you take a five-year break i i don't know i mean like it's it's i I don't know that record like i I never really thought about it until you said it that way where it's like that record based on production alone and based on flow i think too and just like like, all the fats trimmed on that record nine songs even with a nine minute song shoved in there there's no fat on that record it is lean it is timeless and it's pretty flawless from front to back and it's like where do you go after that so yeah it's a good point yeah wow and it's a perfect like it's a perfect like a side b side record too you know like you know if you're thinking of it in that way it's like you know you end on being caught stealing and then you turn it over and it's like three days is your first song and then you end on classic and then you end on classic girl. It's like the perfect. Right. Well, that's that we got into this in the silver chair episode too, where it's like sides meant something at that point. Like it really was, you know, because the, the, the format, I mean, CDs were still, you know, was, was, has become at that point the, the main format, but vinyl was still somewhat prevalent and tapes were, were tapes were everything. I mean, that's what I was buying at the time. So it's like, you did like if you were smart and you had that kind of smart fan base, you dorked out on the sequencing and and I'm sure the band did too. Like one, you had to for time constraints, but it, it was like there was an A side and a B side that had completely different feels. Like even today, I was walking and listening to the new Gojira record, and not like the most massive fan, but the, they're fucking great. Like I love where they're they're taking metal and have taken metal over the past twenty years, and there is a I mean give it if you're a fan or if you're not give it a listen just because the front half of that record is like the usual sepultura influence there's like the black album influence they know how to write a fucking song the second you you know okay wow track six there's like an interlude that kind of slides into this five to six minute song where it's just clean vocals almost in like a chant and like a hypnotic kind of really cool repetitive piece and then it gets a little heavy and then it goes right back down this. It's almost like a totally separate band. And right. that's what you got back then. Like you really, like if a band did it right, you really got this yin and yang to what a band could do. And Jane's just captured that perfectly on Ritual. They did. Perfectly. And I really, I really appreciate when bands now, like where they don't really have to think about that stuff, but you can tell, even if you're listening to a record on like, you know, the whole way through digitally, like you can tell, like they thought about 
the middle point of this record and where it's going to turn for, you know, quote unquote, side B of the record. Sure. It's, it's, it's an like Deftones. Part. I feel like Deftones oh, do it a lot. Deftones, God, with this last record too, because I mean, I think Gore had its highlights, but probably the weakest record in their catalog. And this new record, it just, the first half, Deftones, almost like self-titled Deftones-ish. But then the second side is on some, especially tracks like maybe eight through 11 or nine through, however the record ends, the last three or four songs, that's on some whole next level shit. And like, a buddy of mine even told me he's like you're gonna hate me when i tell you this but the opening riff of the last track is a 311 riff and it honestly didn't even ruin it for me because it was like you know what i'm here for it fuck it yeah well, <laughs> but it yeah. is it, it is a 311 riff. <laughs> yeah. well then i'm all for it then <laughs> <laughs> well it's like what everyone like shit i was talking about it with a buddy about turnstile where they're like oh man like it's it's like snap case if nick hexham was the vocalist and i'm like so that sounds tight <laughs> like, that's just like uh, that just sounds like a weak like i don't know like thing to throw out there i think there's so much totally more to that band oh man i mean that that band i got tickets to see them they're doing three shows they're playing a puppet theater in santa Ana, and i it sold out like instantly and it's like the first show i'm gonna go see when i i moved down to long beach and that band is just so fucking they're all they're they're so there's so many moves ahead of everybody else and i i, I don't know well told you we'd talk about hardcore for a bit on this <laughs> told you we'd sneak that shit in um so um curious if there's one song in the canon that you don't fuck with one song that just you hear it you're like this is a skip which one is it i'm gonna get shit for this but it's jane says the, the like the original jane says no, Wait, no the not, one... not, not the original original, the nothing shocking Jane says. Yeah, the nothing shocking Jane says. I Got would it. rather, if I had to listen to that song, I'd rather put on the Triple X record and hear that version of it. I actually like the kettle whistle one. Yeah, that one, I don't know. That one bothers me. This, <laughs> I think those two are, Yeah, I just, yeah, everything about, the, I mean, that's the one song. It's, and I, I totally understand it's a great song. But I'm just maybe I'm just so sick of it. Maybe it's just oh, the one that excites me the least. But it's the one I will always skip. I get that though. It's like it's a weird one with Jane's too because it doesn't. I, I could be speaking out of turn. I don't know if that was the song that at least to me didn't bring me to the dance for Jane's addiction. It was others. Like I, I almost discovered that. Like I knew it was there, but maybe because I was growing up in South Florida again, like you, so far away from the West Coast, I didn't know it was a hit or not. I knew that Bing Caught Stealing was a hit. I knew that Mountain Song was a hit. I knew that Stop was a hit. I didn't know Jane Says was a hit. I didn't know that was a single or anything. So I was just like, oh, this is a cool, like different thing they do. I was right. way more into like, I thought Ocean Size was like the one. I thought that would have been, but I, I but uh, yeah, I feel you. It's, 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 as we're speaking right now, it's pro, Jane says is probably playing on at least 300 radio stations across the country. Of course. And then an offspring song is going to come on right after it. It just, the second it's over, you're like, yeah. It's just, it's like, got to keep them separated. Dude, I've never since, since moving to Southern California, I cannot believe like the, the, you know, the once in a while that the radio's on, like that they are still playing sublime, the offspring Jane says, you know, like it's just the same, like six songs over yes. and over and over again. They'll throw in just a girl 
depending on how far south you go, somewhere between you and I, um, you'll get maybe a, a puddle of mud song that has somehow lasted the test of time. It's it's fucking wild, man. Like radio is nuts. And I try to explain to my wife all the time that for like a certain band, it is important. And for a band like Jane's Addiction, I read a little a, a catalog piece the other day about how UME is kind of like, which is Universal's catalog division for those of you that don't know, that to our point where like, if you don't get that hit right away, you could be toast. But for a band like Jane's, the catalog, radio, this shit is keeping the band alive. Like imagine that, so like both of us, you and I have probably bought multiple copies, multiple versions of these records throughout our lives. I think I've bought the CD for, for nothing shocking twice. I, the tape at least once D ditto for ritual. Um, the CD for triple X I bought, I bought strays some for some reason, but I mean, I, but I, but I did all that. Right. It's like probably gave him a few hundred bucks over, over the years in just audio. Right. Now I don't go to my cloud to listen to that. I go to Apple music or Spotify. So like they're, so it's like they're getting the fan, the older fan, like, like myself. And then they're also getting the fan that finds them on radio. They're get like they're the, that song, no matter how played out it is, is going to continuously rope people into the fandom. And if that's what it takes, but I yeah. hear you 100%. It's just, yeah, it's just for me. That's the song I'm going to skip. Yeah, no, I, dude, I get you. It's like, from like, it's epic for me. Like, it's you just great song. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. So, um, want to touch on something you said earlier. So, they so besides that time at Jones Beach, the other times you saw them, do you prefer them as a live band to studio? Um, I, I mean, I guess they are in their day mm -hmm. from nine. Like I feel like from eighty eight to ninety one, there is not a better live band. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? The original lineup when they were in their prime, you could not touch them. Right. At that time. So, it, you know, if if I got a chance to always go see them in 1990 or 91, yes, I would pick them live right. all the time. Um, but, you know, if I'm going based off of like new Janes or, you know, from like strays on Janes, you know, like I would rather um, I'd rather listen to the records. Where do you land with those records? Like the two records that came after, like, are there any songs in there that are highlights for you? Or do you, do you just disavow actually, those records? Or? No, I actually really like strays because the thing that ruins strays for me, and I think strays would be a better record for everyone if they had a different album cover. Cause it is the worst piece of shit it's ever bad. made. <laughs> yeah. It's like it someone's was... first like Photoshop one Oh one. Like, I, I don't know. It's like so why... bad. How do you go from making like two amazingly classic album covers or, you know, three, the first one's even cool, it is um, cool. To, to, to that. Yeah. And, I, and I, I have a little, like, I have a little background on that because we, uh, my old band instruction, um, when we were signed, um, Bob Ezrin produced our record and he mm -hmm. produced and he produced strays as well. He did. So yeah. we kind of got we kind of got some like dirt on that whole process that, you know, recording and even like down to the artwork. And, you know, Bob was really pushing for um, for Storm to do the album um, art for that, you know, like, oh, you interesting. know, yes. Yeah, and, I know. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And he's done, obviously, incredible covers. Like, yeah. 
and, and he's and, still uh, doing incredible covers. He's still doing incredible, right? So, and and you know, I just think some ego, some ego got involved, and we mm. ended up with the cover that. of uh, with that. And I think it really like, it, I I don't know if you think it's shallow or not, but like to me, like if you're delivering a a, a whole package, right? Like that's the first thing you're gonna see, maybe, mm. you know, and maybe before you hear the music or whatever. I, that's an automatic like points deducted right there. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's part of me that at least like when you see that you, know, you see Perry and you see, you see these recognizable faces th- th- there's part, like maybe they, there's like a method to that madness, that particular madness. But to your point, a band that is known as like this art rock alternative, I don't like insert phrase here, but they're known for that. Like you can't listen to a second of nothing shocking and not see, not see the cover. So right. and not see like the hide on the back. Like at least I can't. I, mean, I, I definitely. I'm very visual when I learn clearly. But right. that, that's the connection for me. And like when I think of that record, it's just like I see that hat or like whatever the fuck he was wearing. It was just like I see like the, the font, and, and and I just don't want that. And you're right. Like I think it was a big rock record production, but I think the songs there are some good songs on there. I think there's a lot of good songs. I really do. I actually do like that record because I, I'm able to separate, you know, I think a lot of people when Porno for Pirates came out, they were disappointed in a way, right? Because like they're going, well, it's two guys from Jane's Addiction. And like, why doesn't it sound like Jane's Addiction? Because it's a different band. And right. I mean, even people like, I mean, look at the two Porno for Pirates records. It's like two different bands. You know what I mean? They're entirely like a lot of people thought that the Good God's Urge was like a sophomore slump. And it's like that record's fucking incredible. It's, it's incredible. Just- it's just, the, it, you know, everybody wanted, like Perry's been very fortunate that he had a hit with pornos where it's like, Pets was massive. Massive. And probably my least favorite song on that record. Definitely not the best song. It is a good, I, I love It's that a good song. song. I love but, the but, song too, but totally on that record. It's not, I don't think yes. it's the best song on that record. No. And if you're going single for single for album launch, Tahitia Moon blows that song away. Like blows 100%. It away. Yes. But yeah, I, I hear you. I think that like I think there's certain bands like you know Alice in Chains. Do you do you fuck with these this or is it just that? And is like failure. It's like have you come to the party for these these two records that have come? Which I definitely fucking have. They're incredible. But you know it, it, to your point, like how do you follow Ritual? You really can't. And how do you follow like Fantastic Planet? They did a pretty damn good job. So it but it took. 19 years to get right. back to it so uh, yeah i was just so curious how you felt i mean some people are they're, they're they're just i guess purists about that kind of approach like no this is the band this is no it. i think if there was a different album cover i would like that record even more than i like it but i do i i still listen to strays occasionally i think there's some good songs on there um i think chris cheney uh, a lot of on a lot of those songs is trying to play like eric avery yeah. you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but I mean, how could you not? You know, he's such a strong presence in that band. But then the last record they did, I think, is kind of garbage. I tried. I, did. I tried to. I keep trying. I, <laughs> I, I, every once in a while, I'll be like, maybe this time, maybe this right. listen, it'll hit me. But yeah. I can't. I mean, the lyrics on that record are so bad. And um, that one song, like the first single was like, it's a whole song about Eric Avery. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> that was the sound of my palm you know face yeah. palm. um 
Wow. That's uh, I did not know that. I don't know if I needed to know that. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I'm going to send you the song and I want you to listen to it and listen to the lyrics. It's so bad. Oh man. I mean the pettiness, like, I guess I don't feel bad when I feel petty at 41 about something. <laughs> These guys are like 30 year old beef over something that they probably can't even remember. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, so the way I like to end these is I do a two prong question. It's like, what's, what's and for this band it's just there's so many but what is like the sultriest sexiest song they have and then what's the song what's your funeral song from jane's like how would you annoy your relatives open casket uh, style uh three days <laughs> three just the longest one they got the, yeah. the long, i mean it's the most epic song right it so is. it's like i yeah. feel like if there was going to be uh you know people standing around you crying laughing whatever it's like rejoicing whatever it is like yeah. that song takes you through all the emotions. Right. And I think it totally. has that, that would, that would definitely what I would want to be played at my funeral. That's a good one. Even though it's about a threesome, um, you know, like, <laughs> like it's cool. Just adds to your, your overall mystique. <laughs> <laughs> and for, and for the, and for the, uh, the strip club anthem, which they have many. Uh, they do have a few. I feel like there's, there's probably like three, right? I think like being caught stealing, I've actually seen, Sure. you know, I've been yeah. in a situation where that has been on. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Kettle Whistle is like an actual kind of sexy song because it has yeah. like that, like, uh, I, don't, I don't really like the Doors at all, but to me that's their most like the Doors type of song that they've written. I can hear that. Yeah, especially if you ever listen to like the original version, like they've only ever like, demoed it or like or live versions of it. It's way more like sultry in a way. Like the one that they recorded is kind of like has a more like um, digital sound to it. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I I, I, need, I haven't heard the the original or the demo the original is just a more like live like rock version of it. It's Got really it. it's it. really good. And then off of Strays, there's a song called um, Wrong Girl, which is like has a really kind of cheesy uh porno guitar riff in the beginning which i guess can be considered perfect. sex yeah perfect that works well let's just say being caught stealing that yeah yeah being caught stealing will, will do the trick which is it's great great way to segue as my mom's favorite jane's addiction song. so great <laughs> good job good job dude i i'm so happy we got to do this um you know, obviously the pandemic has been so weird and not been you not living far away and not being able to hang. But I think we're uh, we're inching up on when we can finally do that. And now I'm moving way closer down to you. So we should figure out a show or a bar or somewhere halfway in the middle and and finally get it done. But, man, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and talking about Jane's. And this is a total treat, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll post all the stuff for you to, you to get followed and your business and everything. And uh, once again, please, you know, like, share, subscribe, listen, tell everybody about the Grossed Out podcast. I would appreciate it. Adam, thank you so much, man.